In internal analysis chapter, I split the lecture into two parts like I did in external uh, analysis chapter. In the first part, I'll talk about a theory relevant to internal analysis of firm resources and capabilities. The theory is called resource-based view. Then in the second part, I'll tell you about how these resources and capabilities are acquired and adapted to respond to environmental changes. In chapter three, uh, external analysis chapter, we have already seen uh, this figure. We said that factors that affect everyone in a macro context may explain 25% of the firm's performance. Factors that affect all industry actors may explain 20% of the firm's performance. These are the external factors that firms have little or no control over. But if all the firms, either in a macro or industry context, face the same environment, same external environment, how would we explain performance differences across companies, right? Best Buy and Circuit City were in the same industry, but Best Buy beat the Circuit City and threw it out of this ring. There must be other factors that are in control of the firm that sources this success or failure vis-a-vis firms in the same industry. These are what we call firm effects, and they explain more than half of the firm's performance. In this chapter, we will analyze the firm effects. We will look inside the firm, its core competences, resources, and capabilities. But as the figure shows, external and internal factors do not appear on separate spaces. They all have one or another way influence each other. Although the boundaries of the circles in here are well drawn, it is not a clear cut. Think about it. Then you believe that suppliers become a trouble for your operations. You may want to acquire them to eliminate the pressure they put on your profitability. Or take another case where rivals mushroom as the industry become more attractive. As alternatives increase, customers are now either looking for price discounts or want new features in your product. One way to mitigate customer and competitor threat is to find new and novel ways to treat and satisfy your customers so you stand out among all the new or many competitors. So it all depends on you and your capabilities inside that face and mitigate the challenges come from outside. Overall, what I'm trying to get at is that by analyzing outside factors, you shape your internal structures and response to external factors through adaptations in inside structures should be dynamic. Environment changes and you have to change accordingly. Therefore, at each point, you should be forming an internal structure comprised of core competences, resources, and capabilities that fit to your external environment. Inside of the firm are core competences, resources, and capabilities. But what are they? Resources are any assets that enter production and service creation activities. Anything can be called resource if it helps a company create its value propositions. For example, eBay acquired an online platform in Turkey that makes the same thing that Uber Eats does uh, nowadays. This was almost 10 years ago. And in this example, the Turkish firm is a resource for eBay because it helped eBay enter Turkish market more easily. 
capabilities include more action in meaning. It is the ability or skill to transform resources into products or services. As a firm, if you have the capability to do something, you can do this something reliably whenever you engage in this something task. Take the example of product development capabilities of Apple. Apple reliably creates nicely designed and state-of-the-art technology consumer products. Core competences are your firm's unique strengths that are sourced by your resources and capabilities in combination. Core competences are the bundle of resources and capabilities that define your distinctive attributes as a firm. What makes you different from other firms? So it is the source of competitive advantage. Remember that competitive advantage is the different is to be different in good terms. Let's look at um, some examples of core competences. And these examples are actually coming from your textbook. Here, the first example is IKEA. IKEA has defined a unique furniture shopping experience through its store structure and furniture design. It offers modern design furniture at acceptable quality at an acceptable price in its distinctive stores. The second example is Tesla. Tesla is known for its superior engineering capabilities that present creative and novel products of future. Last one, um, second to the last one is Uber. Uber has a convenient online platform through its superior software design capabilities. And finally, Coke. Coke is highly capable of marketing its products and making them visible in the marketplace. It has superior distribution capabilities. As you may recognize from all these successful companies, core competences are product of resources and capabilities of a firm that synergistically create a distinctive position in the industry. They do something better than the others that they are successful. And these better things are the core capabilities of the firms. For example, IKEA's production and design capabilities do work in tandem thanks to the effective functioning of its constituent resources, such as its design engineers, store personnel, capital, and the like. And these core competences are what makes IKEA stand out from others. For some researchers, capabilities can also count as resources. But as I told in the beginning, Capabilities are more like the action version of resources. Resources are mobilized to produce something through capabilities. Okay, there are um, different resource typologies, but here is the most widely used one, tangible and intangible resources. As you may guess, tangible resources are visible and can be described with their physical attributes. Examples are labor, capital, land, buildings, to name a few. Tangible resources are less likely to be a source of competitive advantage compared to intangible resources and capabilities. I'll tell you why later in this chapter. But it's not hard to guess, right? You can buy tangible resources readily from a market. So you may not need to wait, so we accumulate them. Intangible resources, on the other hand, may not be readily available in the market. 
they're invisible and hard to define with their physical attributes. Culture, customer loyalty, know-how, and expertise are, for example, intangible resources. One view that takes the inside approach to firm performance is, as I said in the very beginning of this lecture, resource-based view. Um, resource-based view of RBV believes that what makes a firm superior to others is the resources and capabilities that it possesses and controls. Otherwise, how would one explain performance differences across firms, especially within an industry? So this rationale reflects two key assumptions of RBV, resource-based view. First, firms control different resources and capabilities. They are like individuals having unique characters. This is the assumption of resource heterogeneity. It differs from external analysts in, in that manner because external researchers assume the opposite. They look at common external factors that affect a typical firm that holds homogeneous resources. That does not make sense according to RBV. Here, we are not opponents or proponents of external or internal researchers. Research has to sacrifice some level of reality for the sake of manageability and practicality. To understand a phenomenon, you have to hold some other phenomenon constant. So external researchers hold the firm differences constant and focus on external factors. On the other hand, RBV researchers hold the environmental factors constant and focus on internal factors. This is the way science works. The second assumption that RBV holds is resource immobility. Actually, resource heterogeneity and resource immobility, these two assumptions are somewhat related. Think about it. If resources are perfectly mobile and can easily move from one firm to another, then firms would be homogenous because the external researchers assume that they are uh, mobile across firms in an industry and they hold homogenous resources. But on the other hand, RBV, Resource Basil, says that some firms possess and control resources and capabilities that are superior to other firms' resources and capabilities. And these superior resources cannot easily move to the firms who lack them. This is why we see some firms with superior resources have superior performance. VRIO, um, this is a framework uh, that we will be uh, that we will be working um, in this um, in this course in this chapter. Um, v here stands for valuable. R is rare. I is inimitable or imperfectly imitable. And lastly, O stands for organized to capture value. VIRO, V-R-I-O framework, is a well-organized way to look at resources and capabilities to decide whether they can be a source of competitive advantage. It is hard to understand what it does and how it does it by just one sentence. So let's analyze the viral framework step-by-step step to digest it. As I said, it is a very important framework to simplify the decision context and perform successful strategy formulation for the firm. 
So please do not hesitate to ask any of your questions about this framework via any means of contact during class, office hours, or outside class and office hours. Make sure you get it and you get it correct. The long story short, before delving into its details, the rule is that a resource or capability can be a source of sustained competitive advantage if it possesses all viral characteristics at the same time, valuable, rare, inimitable, and organized to capture value. First, value or valuable. What does it mean to be valuable? When is a resource valuable? How do we know if a resource is valuable? First of all, in order to create positive value, remember we need to create greater value than cost, right? Value you create for customers should exceed costs of creating this value. So the first question you need to ask is, does this resource create positive value? Does it help us to reduce costs or increase total value created for customers? Or you may simply ask, what is the point of having this resource or capability in the first place? Look at this funny example. Extreme Arning is the uh, latest dangerous sports that combines the thrills of an extreme outdoor activity with the satisfaction of a well-pressed to think that way. What is the point of learning, possessing, and deploying extreme iron capabilities in a firm context? For a normal for a firm in a normal context, I don't see any point of having this capability, right? But be informed and alert that resources value does change over time. You cannot guarantee that today's valuable resources stay valuable forever. Think about the evolution of retail business. Resources and capabilities like store size and product variety in large stores are not as valuable as they used to be today. E-commerce revolutionized the industry, the retail industry, and the name of competition. Now, the name of competition is better AI capabilities than store size and store operating capabilities. This explains why Walmart 
have been trying, has been trying to keep up with online platform technologies and invest in related capabilities. If you go back to the normal figure, the, the model figure, if the resource is valuable, it won't be a competitive advantage source. We will see why when we look more um, into the model. Let's continue analyzing each attribute step-by-step. Step. Having a valuable resource is not sufficient to gain competitive advantage. The resource should also be rare. Rarity in dictionary terms is not found in large numbers. So if you're one of the few firms who have the resources and capabilities that are available, then they would naturally provide you with an advantage, right? Other firms would not be able to create value the way or the amount you create through a rare resource. This does not mean that not rare or ubiquitous resources are not important. Ubiquitous, not rare um, resources are also important. They're required for firm survival, but they are not sources of competitive advantage. However, having a valuable and rare resource does not suffice for gaining competitive advantage. Resource must also be inimitable or imperfectly imitable. Think about it. Even if the resource capability or competence is valuable and rare, a rival firm can copy it and imitate your success. Think about iPhone as being the first real smartphone with unique touchscreen technology at the time it was introduced. It is apparent that there was a company who could copy the design and technology of iPhone. It is the second most successful company, the longtime rival of Apple, that is Samsung. Although we can say that Apple's unique design and technology was not copyable to all, it is still not inimitable at a perfect sense that Samsung has a considerable market share with a design copied from Apple. Apple's design sources competitive advantage, but cannot hold its monopoly power in smartphones. What can provide companies with imitability or at the least imperfect imitability? There are four barriers that protect companies from imitation. First one is path dependency. Firms are in, uh, intrinsically historical and social entities. The performance of a firm does not depend simply on the industry structure within which a firm finds itself at a particular point in time, but also on the path a firm followed through history to arrive where it is now. Because of the choices you made along the way in the history, you have limited options to go with today when it comes to make a strategic decision. It sounds like um, a little bit negative when you look at from limited options perspective, but think about options that your rivals is left with because they haven't made the same choices as you made in the past. They cannot quickly imitate your success, your current success. To be able to replicate your successful product or services, they need to walk the same road and face the same challenges you faced. The best case is that they're not just late to the party, but they already missed the train. 
So it is not possible for them to replicate your success as they cannot go back in time and do whatever you have done right in the past. For example, Apple acquired a small company named Fingerworks. Fingerworks was the inventor of multi-touch technology. So is it possible for Nokia to acquire Fingerworks again and replicate the technology and success of Apple? It is sometimes too late to take an action that may make you successful. Causal ambiguity. It is the unknown is about what caused the success. If your rivals cannot simply figure out the reasons behind your success, then it may not be possible for them to imitate your success. Causal ambiguity exists when the link between the resources controlled by a firm and a firm's sustained competitive advantage is not understood or understood only imperfectly. In the presence of causal ambiguity, imitating firms cannot know the actions they should take in order to duplicate the strategies of firms with a sustained competitive advantage. It is publicly available that um, Amazon has a bright idea and business model, but it's still not clear how each element that makes the company a market leader contributes to this success. Is it Bezos? Is it the company's values and norms that we have talked about in chapter two? What exactly is the cause behind Amazon's success above all concerns regarding the path dependency challenges? Even if you're able to make this happen today, what was it again? What shall I exactly copy to become an Amazon? It is always not perfectly clear what causes success, so what should be copied? Third um, source of barriers to imitate is social complexity. Social complexity does not help the imitators at all. To make things worse, not only they face difficulties about path-dependent choices and investments and undetectable reasons for success, but they also may not be able to isolate each resource's individual contribution to firm success because resources socially, cooperatively, and synergistically work together with other resources to create success. So it is socially complex. A more visible barriers, um, barrier for imitation is protection by rules and regulations, namely intellectual property rights. You have a patent on your technology, which may protect you from imitation. But still, competitors may circumvent these rules and get access to a resource that serves to the same purposes. Let's think of a hypothetical example. Firm X has a resource bundle of Rx that is valuable, rare, inimitable. And for now, let's assume that a firm is organized to capture value. By deploying Rx, Firm X implements a very successful strategy X and gains competitive advantage over Y. We cannot guarantee 
that Y cannot implement strategy X and becomes as successful as firm X because it is always impossible to utilize a substitute resource that functions the same as Rx does. If the resource is valuable, rare, inimitable, and non-substitutable, we safely put a check mark on each of them, but it does not suffice to sustain competitive advantage if the firm is not organized well enough to capture value created. As I mentioned earlier, Apple acquired a company named Fingerworks. Thanks to this company's multi-touch technology, Apple produced the revolutionary iPhone. Although Fingerworks possessed the valuable, rare, inimitable, and non-substitutable resources, who did capture the value created by this resource in the end? Apple. According to the ex-owner of Fingerworks, Apple acquired the company 20 times lower than its true value. All in all, we say that for a resource to be a source of competitive advantage, it must carry all viral characteristics at the same time. As we talked about value creation and capture, we need to talk about value chain concepts. What is value in the first place? It is the amount that your customers are willing to pay for your products and services. So it is the price paid by your customers, which makes your total re revenue in total, price times quantity. This is the third, but not the last time that I'll show you this super um, simple equation. To create positive value or profits, you need to create value for customers that exceeds the costs of production. To understand how a firm can create and capture value, it is important to explore how activities within the firm are organized and coordinated. One useful framework for doing this was developed by Michael Porter, whom we know from Five Forces model. Porter's central insight was that a firm is actually a system of interconnected activities with both physical and informa information linkages. A firm's competitive position in the marketplace results from superior or inferior performance in specific activities. With this perspective, as a starting point, activity level performance can be explored analytically and strategies can be formulated to improve the firm's position. The value chain of a company comprises of internal activities a firm engages in to create value, um, and there are two types of value creation activities, primary and support activities. Primary activities are the steps that directly impact the product or service that customers care about. In a manufacturing firm, they include inbound logistics, operations or manufacturing, outbound logistics or distribution, marketing and sales and service. Support activities are those that provided the context necessary for the effective and efficient operation of the firm, but which do not impact the main product or service directly. Support activities typically include human resources, accounting and treasury, real estate, and information technology. The value chain framework provides several insights. First, 
competitive advantage results um, from superior performance in specific activities. In most industries, one or a few activities are core, that is, they are the keys to competitive advantage. The value chain approach argues that managers should focus their efforts on improving performance in core activities, meanwhile making sure that other non-core activities are performed at an acceptable level. These um, non-core act non activities are good candidates for outsourcing, particularly if there are outside firms that specialize in these non-core activities. A second insight implied about is that there are two generic sources of competitive advantage, low cost and differentiation. Firms can win in the marketplace either by offering standard products at the lowest cost or by distinguishing their products in such a way that customers are willing to pay a premium for them. Again, cost strategies and differentiation take place at the activity level. An extension of this insight is that firm um, is that a firm should select one overarching strategy, low cost or differentiated, and configure all activities to support the strategy. Walmart, for example, has extraordinarily low costs because it has kind of configured all its activities to minimize costs. The firm has massive scale in logistics and distribution, offers low cost generic products and invests little in, um, in its stores or merchandising. Apple, on the other hand, follows a differentiation strategy. It focuses on product design and the user experience. Much of its logistics, manufacturing, and service functions are outsourced to, to third parties. Apple spends heavily to differentiate its products, and its market share and prices show that customers are willing to pay for this. The third insight from the value chain um, framework is that firms should focus on a few key activities, and specifically those that provide competitive advantage. Other activities, typically support activities, are less important and can be moved away. Why is this perspective important for our purposes? Because once you examine your company is a series of interlinked activities, some of which it is better, uh, some of which you are better at than others, you can see um, quickly that you don't need to perform all of these activities in the series in order to create value. 